on the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry. I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. It's been a turbulent year for our schools, for students, parents, teachers and principals alike, and the repercussions COVID-19 has had on our education system has been far-reaching. For the first time since December, all our children are back at their lesson school. I'm Fionn Sheehan for In Focus. Today we look at the wide-ranging impact COVID-19 has had on our education system. I'll be speaking to Irish Independent Education Editor Catherine Donnelly about the fallout of digital learning on students and teachers. We'll also be examining the upheaval to the state exams, the mental health effects on students and teachers, and what the pandemic has revealed about our education system. The biggest negative on education in the past year, I think, has been the way uh, students who suffer disadvantage, whether that's socioeconomic or whether it's because they have a special educational need, have suffered disproportionately. Back in March 2020, then Health Minister Simon Harris announced the initial closure of schools for two weeks to deal with the COVID crisis. Our emergency team has now recommended that it is necessary to close all schools, all creches and all childcare facilities and higher level institutions from tomorrow. All of these measures will remain in place until the 29th of March. and will be 13 months later and many students have spent up to five months at home learning remotely. Catherine also thinks there are some benefits in how coronavirus has reshaped and reframed education. The big positive coming out of the pandemic, as far as education is concerned, I suppose, would be the the big leap made by teachers, students and the system itself in integrating technology into teaching and learning. The three teachers unions, the ASTI, the TUI and the IMTO, have voted for an emergency motion backing industrial action up to and including strike action if they're not prioritised for vaccination. The unions whose... Catherine, concert... there's been a lot of upheaval in the education sector over the last year. What is this latest row over vaccines all about? Teachers were told last term in the autumn that they would be in the top 30% of the population to be vaccinated. They had sought a certain priority because they were back in schools last September dealing with classes of 20 to 30 pupils uh, and they felt they were deserving of um, uh, as much protection as possible. Now schools are safe places, they're safer than the community at large. We know that, the statistics tell us that. That's because teachers have actually done a good job implementing all the guidelines that the government have set out. Um, but they were offered they were offered the priority on the vaccine list. They were number 11 on the original list, uh, putting them, as I say, in the top 30 percent. And that was based on advice that the government had from NIAC last autumn, um, which said that certain occupational groups should be prioritised because of the level of risk um, that they encountered. A couple of weeks ago, NIAC changed its mind based on, as the minister uh, made clear last week, uh, based on the science and said that 
actually know the, the continuing rollout of the vaccine should be on an age based basis, uh, not apart from some people in very high risk um, health, um, uh, with high risk health conditions. So that just put teachers then back in with the general population. And if per, well, perhaps if you were a six year old teacher, your chances of getting a vaccine early would probably be OK. If you're a 25 year old teacher, a 30 year old teacher, you're well down the list. And teaching is a very young, the age profile in teaching is young, like in the primary teachers union, about 30 percent of members are 35. So without any extra information as to how the schedule was going to work, they were seeing themselves back at school next September without having been vaccinated. And we don't know. I mean, obviously, there's, there's good um, good progress being made on the sh on the vaccination, but we we don't know exactly what the situation is going to be like next September. Will there be new variants out there that will cause new problems, and you know, will people then be needing booster shots to to um, protect them? The, the change in the the vaccine rollout is disappointing for many in the education sector, and indeed for other sectors. I suppose the rollout is not a reflection and it is not meant to be a reflection on any, any particular profession. It is simply a reflection of science. That was Education Minister Norma Foley, of course. The government aren't backing down here on their change to the vaccine rollout schedule, are they? Is there genuine concern, Catherine, that the unions will actually go on strike? There is cause for concern. The teacher union leaders are furious. They have been negotiating with government since this time last year about, first of all, about the, the pivot to remote learning. And then all last summer about the reopening of schools and circumstances in which that could happen and how safe it could be. There was the big blip at the start of January after the Christmas holidays when uh, COVID rates were very high, up at six, seven thousand cases a day. And the teacher unions were actually still, they were, they were negotiating with Norm Foley around reopening a few days later or, or, you know, in January, they lost the room with their own members. The union leaders were negotiating good faith about reopening um, and the, the, the members on the ground said, you know what, we're not going back. So they were blind, blindsided by, by their own members. Then last week, the, the advice was brought to government by the Minister for Health that um, to the effect that the vaccination schedule should change to the age based uh, system and union leaders themselves felt blindsided then by government that they had not been consulted at all about this, that it had come out of the blue. So they are, they're furious, their members are furious and their leaderships are, are furious this time around as well. So there is a very real threat. In the first instance, they will, you know, they're, they're hoping to engage um, in a constructive way with the Department of Education to see what they, you know, well, in fact, not to see, they're demanding restoration of um, priority for teachers. We don't know how that's going to go. So it's been a stressful time for students, in particular those sitting state exams. Last year, the junior cert and leaving cert were both scrapped and a calculated grades system was introduced uh, for the leaving cert. In hindsight, how did that system work? Well, it worked very well. The, the junior cert, by the way, those exams are cancelled again this year. Um, the leaving cert calculated grades were deemed to have worked uh, well. Uh, there was an element of grade inflation, about 4% over and above what you might expect. Uh, it might have been higher um, without the standardisation process uh, that was used to sort of level out results across the across all schools and across the country. Um, teachers when so for the first time last year, teachers were asked to mark their own students, provide an estimated mark for their own students in all subjects. Um, and that happened almost overnight, you know, uh, with, without warning. And by the way, it's something that teachers here have resisted doing over the years. It's something that they do not want to do. They say Ireland is too small a country. Mm -hmm. uh, for our, you know, for Irish teachers to be assessing students, um, so 
they did it though. Um, they did it. They agreed to do it on the basis of sort of a once off. In fact, it'll be a twice off now. But um, they so the teachers were asked to be fair to students and they were fair, fair um, about almost 90 percent of grades uh, were unchanged after the standardisation process. Four o'clock. Are there any truth in suggestions uh, that there may have been further issues or indeed errors uh, found in the way in which the grades have been uh, calculated? Yes, the Department of Education and Skills has found, to my understanding, two errors in the Leaving Certificate 2020 calculated grades. Uh, my understanding is that the Minister for Education will be making a comprehensive statement today in relation to this. Uh, and that was the Taoiseach responding to a question by Labour leader Alan Kelly. His answer that there were indeed serious errors in the calculated grade system caused great shock to students. This led to a lot of unhappiness among some students. So how was that resolved, Catherine? Yes, after the results uh, issued, it emerged that there were, had been some coding errors and about 7,000 grades were incorrect. They were resolved. They went through the process again. The uh, corrections were made and about 500 new college offers were made as a result of that. So that's how it was resolved. And so, so this year then, slightly different in that the students will have a menu they can select from in effect. That's right. This year, so this year they have what's known as accredited grades, which as I say is very similar to the calculated grades, but they can also sit leaving cert exams. The exams are scheduled to run in June as normal. Mm -hmm. um, the, so and on a subject by subject basis, students can uh, decide to take one or other or, or both. And if, if they take both in maths, say, and let's say the teacher gives them a H1 and they, in the exam, they only get a H2. Well, the H1, the teacher's H1 will, will hold. They'll, they'll get the better result. Where, where there is a difference, they'll get the better result. Um, similarly, if, if, the better, if the better result is in the exam, if, the, you know, if you get the H1 in the exam and you, the teacher only gave you a H3, you'll, you'll be accredited with the uh, H1. So it's a win-win for students. The other thing that's happening around the exams this year is because of all the disruption, they've been given a huge amount of choice in um, the, the sort of the number of questions they have to answer and the choice within questions. And for instance, this year, probably for the first time ever, I'm sure it is, um, this year on Leaving Cert Honours English, you do not have to do a Shakespeare question. Wow. Yeah. So that's, you know, that will be, you know, happy days for a lot of students. So th the way the choice is working, you can do it, but the way the choice is working and Leaving Cert Honours English, you do not have to do a Shakespeare question. So other people will look at that and say, remember Iago saying, uh, Beware, my lord of envy, it is the green-eyed crocodile which that mocked that meat it feeds upon. Well, you were obviously a H1 student in English, you know? <laughs> One cohort of children, of course, who have been severely impacted by the pandemic are special needs children. Now, in this regard, I have two children, um, an 11-year-old who's on the autistic spectrum and a six-year-old who has Down syndrome. Um, they both require one-to-one -one support, both for their learning and for their care needs. Um, Typically in school, they would have six staff um, involved um, in, in their education and their um, care needs. Um, so that's 12 staff. And as a parent, I'm expected as, as one person to provide that. I clearly can't do that. That was Liz Kite speaking to Matt Cooper on the last word on Today FM in January. Clearly, it's been very hard for special needs kids and their parents. Tell me how they've been impacted directly, Catherine. They've probably suffered more than anybody else, or certainly among the, the cohorts that have suffered the most. Um, children, we have about 124 special schools 
uh, catering for children with the highest level of need. As well as that, uh, in mainstream schools, there's about 1800 special classes. They're mainly for children with autism and there's a maximum of six pupils in each class. And the idea is that the, the pupil in question divides their time between the special class and the mainstream class. If they feel a need uh, to for a bit of quieter space or they um, need a bit of extra support, they're, they're in, they go into the special class, perhaps on a one to one basis with their with the teacher or with an SNA. Um, and that's really valuable and it's working really well in schools. The SNAs are really important to those children because they're helping them develop life skills. Uh, and that's one of the all the research that has been done over the past year, what, what, what parents and teachers and SNAs and anybody around children with special needs has found is that they not only is their education being impacted, uh, but they're losing they're losing social skills, the very so the social skills that are developed in school. Parents obviously do an enormous work with them, but also school uh, really helps. So there's I mean, there's evidence of some serious regression. When when it came to after Christmas and there were very high levels of COVID in the community and there was there was the delay then in reopening schools from day one, even though there was that delay, but from day one, everybody agreed that the first cohort back should be the pupils with the special needs because they were the ones who had suffered the most. It was it was it's been recognized here and globally that, that they've suffered most um, and they did get back first. But nonetheless, it was still well into February before they got back. OK, another group then disadvantaged students. Now, the OECD have highlighted those kids saying that they've suffered long term damage uh, from the pandemic. What has the issue been there? Is it that it's highlighted the 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 social interaction within within schools? Is it the digital divide? Uh, is it simple um, socioeconomic factors that are at play? It's a bit of everything. Uh, children from socioeconomic dis um, disadvantaged backgrounds um, in many cases have parents with low education levels. So when this time last year, um, parents were asked to support children's learning at home by engaging with them on um, you know, remotely, um, particularly for primary children who would have needed the parent support. If if your own parents had low education attainment levels, well, that was going to be very difficult for them. So that was one factor that would have played into it. Another, obviously, was the um, the digital divide, as you said. The um, in order to engage with remote learning, you need a, a device. Ideally, you need a laptop. Uh, a lot of homes don't have laptops. They certainly don't have a laptop per child. In many cases, the mobile phone was the only digital device in the house, and that that was what some families had to use, or children had to use, to engage with with the online learning. So they can, that's far from satisfactory. And you then have an issue around that stable social environment that are, is being provided by these kids by the school. So how, you how do you do? Yeah, work? I mean, you have things like in school, you have well, school can be a place of refuge for a lot of children if there's if there are issues going on at home. The school can, I mean, schools have. They have mandatory responsibilities now to report any evidence of neglect or abuse uh, and, and that, that, that they feel a child may be suffering. So they weren't they didn't have the same day to day contact with kids to maybe pick up on things like that. Schools in some cases also, you know, they provide meals and some hot meals and um, it's, it might be the only decent meal a child might get in the day. So that was one of the things that they did do last. The government did do last year. They did uh, continue the provision of meals for children in disadvantaged areas in the DESH schools 
um, while schools were closed okay. and they did it, it happened again over the, the, the Easter holidays uh, over the holidays so but that, but it was very necessary Catherine you've been covering the education beat for, for 20 years you've probably never seen anything like the past 12 months in terms of that level of, of disruption but what has the education system learned from that experience? Well I suppose one very obvious learning is that teachers and students can now engage with each other remotely. We can have online teaching and learning. It may not be perfect and it's been a patchy experience over the last year, but there has been huge learning and there is a basis there now for advancing that. And we probably never have a situation again where schools would, you know, where if they have to close for something like a snow day or, or stormophilia, that um, they'd be worried about how do we make up the time if something like that happens again? Well, then the learning just continues remotely. And do you see the leaving cert continuing with some form of, of continuous assessment or accredited grades? Well, the unions agreed to the calculated grades last year and this year's accredited grades. Well, last year's a once off and this year then was a, a twice off. Uh, we know that Irish teachers do not support the idea of assessing their own students. They say the country is too small for that. Nonetheless, they've done it over the last couple of years. The students trust them to do it. So the students are happy with it. Um, teachers are still uncomfortable with it. Uh, but as it happens, this this as we're, as we're coming out of this, um, the, the National Council for Curriculum and Assessment is preparing very shortly to present a report to the minister on uh, reform of the Leaving Cert. That has been going on for a few years, long before COVID was ever on the agenda. Been very a very detailed review. Um, and it's looking at things like continuous assessment, you know, more assessment in school so there'd be less reliance on the June exams and other things, you know, a lot of other change at, at senior cycle to make it a more a meaningful experience for all students and not just have the focus on how many points you're going to get in, in those exams. So there'll be a lot of talking done on, on, on that report whenever it comes. It's due by early summer, but I, I think come next autumn, um, it'll make for a very interesting debate because it's very hard to see us just going back to where we were in 2019. Um, I think that the learnings will have to come from this. Unions will resist certain changes um, for one reason. They don't like assessing their own students, but they have done it now for two years. They've learned a lot themselves in that. They should have a new confidence about it. Um, they will probably need more professional development to to if they were to if if, if it was to become part of if it was to become part of, of the future. Um, government, I think, will probably need to invest more in education generally. You know, if you're going to reform from one system to another, it does need it does need more investment. It needs more things like you know digital devices in schools, um, teacher professional development, more resources. You know, maybe more teachers. And teachers are already they're saying that, you know, that all the money that went into schools is for COVID. Even though we mightn't have the same, we won't have the same necessarily need for PPE next year. But that the, the investment should be there to continue to support and develop education. But I think teachers, this education system of teachers have learned an awful lot in the last year and they've shown like they, they showed a willingness and enthusiasm actually to do it, you know. So it's yeah, like 18 months ago, I, I don't know anybody could have foreseen the dramatic changes. That was Irish Independent Education Editor Catherine Donnelly joining me. You can only hope that by September, schools will have returned to relative normality. It's been an unforgettable year for the pupils of the pandemic. You've been listening to In Focus. Visit independent.ie for more podcasts from the In Focus team. And thanks to our producer, Mary Carroll, and sound editor, Dara Kelly. <laughs> <laughs>